Welcome back to Love in the Time of COVID, the podcast that provides tools for navigating conflict and deepening relationships as we weather the shelter during the pandemic. I'm Stephanie Matthews. And I'm Dr. Chelsea Wakefield. We want to thank all of our listeners and for those of you who are writing in and calling in with questions, we have a listener question that we will talk about today. And if there's anything that you want to call and ask Dr. Wakefield about, we're at 501-492-9552. You can also email us at chelseawakefieldpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at COVIDLovePod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And if you like what you're learning, go ahead and give us that five-star rating. That's going to help other listeners find us as well. Chelsea, it's so good to be back with you. Um, I know this is just a really sort of tough time right now. Not only do we have the COVID-19 pandemic that we're still battling, but um, we now are, you know, in the throes of um, a racial and social justice movement, which, as we know, has always been there, but is way more top of mind, I think, collectively than it's been before. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts, you with, you know, more um, training and professional insight into what's going on and how that's just playing out in relationships right now. Well, it what's going on internationally, actually, is to some degree a reflection. It's related to our quieter, more being in, in shelter lifestyle where we've had a chance to reflect on things and to feel more deeply, not to be rushing around so much, and you know, for a lot of people to be consuming more news. And I think it's stirring up emotions and issues that have been in the underbelly of our culture for a, a long, hundreds of years, long, long time, maybe even thousands of years in terms of if we think about this from an archetypal perspective, what is just and what is unjust and the haves and the have-nots and power and powerlessness. These are the issues that we're grappling with. And um, so they're up for conversation right now. And the question is around listening. Who's listening and when we listen, what kind of actions are we going to take to, uh, to remedy things that are actually a problem for all of us? Because even though I think sometimes we think that certain things are their problem, it's their problem, it doesn't really impact us, uh, it does impact us in many ways that are not immediately visible. So when we think about people, people being stirred up about justice issues, they are stirred up across the board uh, about power and powerlessness issues. This is something that plays out all the time in intimate relationships. Uh, having and having not, who gets whose way, uh, who says what's going to happen in this house, uh, who says what's going to happen in this country, how do we work out conflicts, all of these issues that they play out on the macro theater, but they also play out in the micro theater. They play out in our homes. And so people are more stirred up about this and more sensitive to interchanges with partners, with children, with family members that feel unjust or they feel like uh, they don't have any power to influence and like no one's no one's listening. Mm-hmm. So those are some of my thoughts about how it's playing out on the macro and the micro and how this is influencing our psyches in a more personal way. Mm-hmm. 
And is there even an awareness of sort of our increased sensitivity right now? Or is it kind of happening at a more subconscious level? I don't think that people are aware that part of the reason why they are feeling more angry or more sensitive, um, more agitated, is really related to this doubling up of not only the pandemic, but the whole situation around George Floyd and, and the protests. And um, it's quite amazing, actually, to see what's going on internationally around this issue. But no, I don't think people are necessarily conscious that their own personal psyches have been stirred up about it in terms of their more interpersonal, closer relationships. Mm -hmm. Are you noticing in the couples that you're working with that there is that increased tension and sensitivity just over the last couple of weeks even? You know, it's, it's interesting when I work with different couples, um, some of them are not very tuned into societal issues and they're not that interested in them. And they're very much um, preoccupied with their own personal concerns and what's going on in their smaller world. And other people uh, are quite tuned into it. And, um, and so it's been up for conversation in certain couples and not so much in others. Um, I often wonder about the couples who live more insulated lives. Uh, I, sometimes I think that their problems are actually bigger because they don't have a reference point uh, for what I call real problems. Um, mm. Granted, our own individual suffering is, is valid and relevant to each person's life. But sometimes when we look at the situation in the larger world and what's going on for people who are really, really struggling with basic issues, food, clothing, shelter, clean water, um, medicine all around the world. Some of our problems where we start to argue about maybe our partner talked to us in a particular tone and we didn't like that tone and then we get into a very big argument about that. Um, in my understanding, those two just don't exactly hold the same weight. And yet when people are on, in a very insular world, just worrying about their own concerns and not really expanding that to a larger playing field, a larger scope. Uh, we can get very overwhelmed and preoccupied with our own individual concerns. So that's just a little reflection on kind of a social justice context for what goes on with couples. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you about the role of listening you know, this is something you and I talked about when we were prepping for this episode, but just at the macro level, you know, so many of us who have been, you know, in the position of privilege over all of these centuries or millennia are being called to listen right now. And that's something mm -hmm. you and I talk about a lot on the podcast in terms of what couples really need to focus on is deep listening. Can you just kind yes. of talk about that, how this thread of listening runs through all of this? So on the couple level, deep listening, listening is such a profound skill. And we have to really do our own work because sometimes when those ideas, sometimes the accusations, sometimes the emotional energy that's being directed in our direction is hard to, hard to take in, hard to be with, uh, particularly if we personalize it. And which, you know, not taking things personally is a really big emotional maturity skill. 
uh, and the, the, the balance between not taking something personally and being dismissive, which is a mistake, mm -hmm. and not taking something personally and remaining engaged, remaining curious about the other person's experience without feeling like I have to uh, be guilty or I have to do exactly what you're saying or I have to defend myself against accusations. All those things that play out in a couple relationship play out in the larger world as well. And, and until we actually listen deeply and understand the perspective of the person that we're, that is talking, what is their context? What is their history? Why does this matter? What is it touching into that's kind of a raw nerve? Uh, until we actually listen deeply, we can't possibly do anything collaborative or cooperative or helpful. Or, you know, what, what we get into a lot of times is just being defensive because we're taking it personally. We're thinking that this person is demanding something from us that me, we may perhaps not want to give. Um, and that's actually one of the fears that people have about listening. They fear that if they actually listen, they will start to get hooked in a way where they have to do something that they don't want to do. So they just refuse to listen instead. And um, other times there's actually an underlying sensitivity or guilt that they may actually have been doing something wrong, something unjust, something unfair. And when someone complains to them, they get angry as a way of defending against feeling their own interior feeling of having done something that they shouldn't have done or really behaving in a manner that they personally don't respect about themselves. So these are, you know, we this plays out again, if you can imagine, in a couple level, and it plays out in the in the larger perspective of, you know, if if I actually admit to my contribution to this problem, am I then gonna be shamed, punished? Um, find myself in an even worse situation. Mm. And we have very little trust going on right now in the larger world. Um, the pandemic has shown us that there really aren't any boundaries on countries. We really are inter interdependent. Things can travel. Viruses can travel. Ideas can travel. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that we, we really need to be thinking about as, at a much deeper level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something you've said that is was really a wake-up call for me was that anger is a secondary emotion. Yes. So when you talk about, you know, if someone is confronted either in a relationship or just, you know, on this sort of more mass level with an idea that they're resistant to or if they feel guilt about it and they respond in anger, what is that anger really about? I mean, you reference shame. Or like, I mean, what's going on at a deeper level behind that anger? Yes, that's, this is very, very important. When people are angry, it is covering a more vulnerable emotion. It's covering fear or shame or sadness, loss, grief, all of these vulnerable emotions. Anger is a much more empowering emotion. When we're angry, mm. we feel energy. When we feel sad, we feel collapsed. When we feel grief, we feel heavy. Um, when we feel shame, we just want to disappear. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working with couples who are angry at each other, the initial stage of my work 
is to try to get them to look in and find out what happened before they got angry. What was going on in the underbelly again, in the soft regions of their psyches, of their hearts, that anger became a defensive solution, an armor of sorts to keep that other person out so that they couldn't hurt them more. And in terms of making peace with anyone, we have to hear we have to hear their story, even if the story is really distorted. Because most of the time when people are angry at each other, there's distortion involved. There's some sort of a projection that the other person is, I don't know, demanding something of them, trying to hurt them, that this is going in a place where they're going to be disadvantaged or harmed. Um, it's touching into deep insecurities, maybe an underlying schema that I always fail at relationships and here it comes again. Or it, it touches into what I call a, a, um, a subjugation schema where I have to give over my power to someone in order to be safe, in order to be loved. I can't really be me. I can't speak out. I can't have an opinion because if I do, I get punished um, or some sort of a loss will be incurred. And so anger, anger is a way of covering that vulnerability, but anger is also a luxury because people who are angry, you can only be angry if you know you're not going to be killed or beaten or punished in some significant way. So, you know, it's interesting that to think of it in that way, but anger really is a luxury and there has to be enough protection, enough safety for people to even voice their anger. But anger is not the end point. We've got to get beyond the anger into how uh, a collaborative system can be born where all people are taken into account and in a couple where both of them, where the relationship is good for both of them. Mm -hmm. And um, neither person is demanding that the other person be exactly who I want you to be so that you will meet my needs. But there is consideration going in a circular mode reciprocity, fairness, listening, responsiveness. Well, this is a great um, launching point into our question of the week from a caller who we'll call Mallory. And I want to play her voicemail because I think a lot of the topics that I know you want to get into today, I think her question is a good launching point for those. So we'll go ahead and play Mallory's voicemail and then we'll get your take on it. Hello, Dr. Wakefield and Stephanie. Thank you for taking my question today and for the podcast. First, I wanted to say uh, this issue has had me frustrated in the past, but now even more since we've been home and working side by side during COVID. Um, I've noticed that my wife is um, assertive and confident at work and she's able to take constructive criticisms from her managers and co-workers so my question is how do I tell her in the nicest way that when she has hurt my feelings or done something that has upset me, uh, how do I tell her that? When in the past, when I am 
open and honest and try to communicate my needs to her, she ends up spending the next X amount of time being hard on herself for letting me down or being sad for thinking that she's faulted me in some way. Um, The conversation usually ends in me frustrated because I don't feel like that there was any progress made and upset because I've hurt her feelings now um, for speaking my needs. Okay, so Chelsea, there's a lot going on here that I want you to unpack for us. Um, So basically, we're dealing with Mallory having kind of a sensitive partner, or she perceives it as her partner is sensitive to um, what she calls constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. So can you take me through what you think is playing out here? Well, as you said, there's there's a lot of different layers here. So I'll, I'll start to talk to each one. And the first one is the comment constructive criticism. Uh, And I would like to reframe that into a problem-solving conversation with a request. So that would require the person that's communicating to move it out of the realm of constructive criticism and essentially just talk about what happens for her inside her world, this is the speaker, when her partner does certain things. So now we're taking it out of the you mode and into the I language mode. Anytime we start moving into you, 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 you know, you're doing this, I wish you wouldn't do this, uh, if you would do this differently, we're in trouble. Because anytime we move into the you language, the you world, we're going to be evoking defensiveness. So the first thing is to talk about the impact that that other person's actions, and I don't know specifically what they're talking about, but uh, this is just true of everybody. Talking about the impact of what your partner's actions, what it's having, what's, how it's affecting you personally. And then um, we always want to make sure that we're in a solution-oriented conversation rather than just a you're doing something wrong conversation. So before even entering into such a conversation, there should be some sort of an idea in the speaker about some ideas about what would make it better. And so that that's helpful. And then it's a solution-oriented conversation. And even if the other person gets a little bit defensive and upset about it because it may be touching into some of their own insecurities or maybe they're feeling that their partner's not very happy with them right now and they're feeling a little insecure, or maybe something else is going on in their world. Maybe they've been cooped up with COVID and they just, you know, they're a little bit more sensitive in general. We don't know. But... Um, Something's going on in that partner's world. And, and it can be really helpful to ask someone, uh, let's say it was some sort of an exchange or, I don't know, a situation where they were out and something happened or they were talking about something. And the, the good question to ask is, what is your memory of what happened there? And to really listen to what the partner's memory was. Because, again, we're, we have two different subjective memories here, two different mm-hmm. individuals. And we always remember things differently. If you have 50 people in the room, you're going to have 50 memories of what happened, what was important, what the inferences were, filled with projections and assumptions and their own personal reference points. So to ask the partner, what is your memory or what is your understanding of what's going on here? 
uh, and maybe even, you know, what do you see as um, what's happening? What would you prefer? Would you like this to be different? Because sometimes it's something where that other person, it's just fine for them. And then this becomes a justice issue. It's mm -hmm. sort of like, if you know, if you're in a two-person system, if you're in a couple, something that is impacting the other person, uh, there's a, a lot of discernment about whether that it, that person needs to do their own personal work around that and to kind of quote unquote get over it or whether if I'm in a relationship with a partner and they're having an objection to something that I'm doing I want to at least look and see if there's a willingness on my part to look and see if there's some change that I might be able to make that is not going to cost me my identity that is not going to take hours on end there might be a shift that I can make out of consideration and sensitivity for that person. So let's just assume that these are, you know, two pretty decent people and, and that's not going on where one is just saying, this is your problem. Mm -hmm. um, then the second thing is that I call this boat rocking. Sometimes when we communicate something that we are dissatisfied with or that we'd like to be different to a partner, they get upset. It hurts their feelings. And then the response is, you just hurt my feelings. And then if we are a sensitive person, we might feel awful about that because we would never intend to purposely hurt someone's feelings because we love this person. But now they're upset and now we're upset about them being upset and now we're not going to get anywhere. We're just kind of sitting in a boat and the boat's rocking. <laughs> so what, what I talk about with people is, number one, make sure that you're speaking in eye language. Make sure that, as in the impact it's having on you, make sure that you are in a solution-focused conversation. I think it's really good to begin these conversations with an affirmation. Uh, someone has once called this, this the sandwich technique, where we <laughs> affirm that person for the value they have in our lives um, or for something that they've done that we really appreciate. And then we ask them if they're in a place to hear about something that's been bothering us. Mm. Now, if the history of those conversations has been that the other person now gets blamed and shamed or criticized, um, picked on, as they might say, uh, over a long period of time, we're going to have to really retool our entire way of communicating with each other. So that's a bigger project. Mm -hmm. And we've talked some about that. But we need to move out of these habituated ways of speaking to each other that don't actually get us what we want and uh, get more effective in our communication in general which means speaking for yourself, really wondering what the other person's experience is, doing a lot of reflecting back to make sure you understand, and then asking a lot of questions so you have deeper understanding, listening deeply, sometimes listening beyond the words, because not everybody has good communication skills. Sometimes our partner comes to us and they're, really, they're not speaking in eye language. They're speaking in the language of criticism and blame and possibly even shame. And we have to put on our translation ears and realize that because that person has not developed good communication skills, we need to hear beyond the words that they're using, sometimes beyond the tone, sometimes beyond the emotion that's coming at us, and listen to what the need is under all those feelings and all those words. If we can find the underlying need and reflect that back, then that really helps to calm the person down. Reflecting back what they said, 
calms that person down. Validating their feelings, even if we disagree with their thinking, calms that person down. Now, this is on the listening end I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to the speaking end, setting a context where, in general, you, you say to your partner, I want us to have more ability to talk about problems that we're having in the relationship and things that we both want are things that we'd like to change. I'd like to get to a place where we can talk to each other easily. And um, so let's do some studying of you know good communication and practice it. Let's start with some smaller things and then move up to some larger things. So in the speaking, you wanna speak for yourself, you wanna get the other person's understanding of the situation, and you wanna make a request and not a demand. Now, how do we know the difference between a request and a demand? The difference is that in a demand, if the other person doesn't do it, some sort of punishment lands. So if my partner demands something of me, even if it's asked very nicely, and I don't give it to them, and then they, I don't know, they sulk, or they withdraw, or they don't help me the next time I ask for help, that's a punishment. And so that was a demand, even when it's spoken really nicely. <laughs> a true request is something that the partner has complete freedom to say yes or no to. And if they say no, then my job as the communicator is to say, okay, so could we talk about what, is there any part of that that's possible? Or what's in the way? What is in the way of you responding to that? Because sometimes, again, there's that other person has some hurt or some resentment that has caused them to withdraw and close off to shield themselves. And, and that's actually where the conversation needs to go next is into this underlying hurt. Mm -hmm. So there are many layers to this and it's a complicated thing, but um, the other thing would be sometimes to have multiple shorter conversations about this. John Gottman, who's a really great couples therapist researcher, talks about flooding. Sometimes you can tell when you've been talking about something and, and both of you, one or both of you, may be, you know, your blood pressure's going up, your heart rate's going up, your breathing's accelerating, you're getting more and more upset. Now you're moving from your thinking brain into your reactive brain, and at that point in time, nothing is going to get accomplished. So it's best to say, okay, let's take a break, let's calm down, let's think about this, let's do our individual reflection so that we can understand what's going on with us more and then we can come back and we talk can talk more about a solution. Mm -hmm. And there are certain issues in a couple's life that multiple conversations need to be had and there are other times in a couple's life when something is just not gonna be possible. Someone mm -hmm. really wants something but the other person is unwilling, incapable, um, it's just not something that they want to do. It's, it's sort of a boundary line that they don't want to cross. And then the one who's trying to communicate or convince about that actually needs to grieve the loss of it and let it go. Mm. That does not sound easy. No. I mean, as I'm telling you, every time we talk about communication, I always sit here like slightly embarrassed because I'm like, oh God, there's so much work to do. Um, you know, because I'll find myself getting into these patterns with Gerard where, you know, I haven't thought about the request before bringing up the conversation. And so I'll be like, I'm upset. I'm feeling whatever, you know, and he's like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, that's completely unproductive. Yeah. You know, I can't even sit there and express what it is I want 
or what, you know, what I would like for him to do or for us to work on. So how, I mean, how do we learn how to like come to terms with what to request, you know, like what kind of level of maturity do we have to get to where we can have those kinds of conversations? Well, there's a lot of personal work in in just really doing, I, I just call it begin within, begin within. Whenever I'm upset, I want to just take some moments to ask myself, what am I actually upset about here? What did I want that I didn't get? What did I, what did I get that I didn't want? Um, how much of this is about my own complexes and maladaptive schemas? And how much of it do I actually want to take to my partner? But that's I mean, because I do this work, I think I probably think about these things more than most people. So here's another thought about what you were talking about, because I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. There's something called the facilitative conversation. Now, that, that's not a word you would use with your partner. But essentially, it's setting the context for, I'm upset, and I don't know what I'm upset about. Could you just be with me and help me to figure this out? And in a relationship that's working really well or with partners that are very supportive of each other, sometimes they're, you know, they're, they're good with that. They're willing to just sit down and, and spend some time with you where you can say, I don't know why this upset me. And then they can facilitate. They can say, well, tell me what you think happened. And then you can say, well, this happened and that happened. And then you're already into the intention and impact conversation and the different memory conversation. So we're going back to something I've mentioned before, which is always worth re-mentioning, and that is intention and impact. We There's just no way we can know what kind of an impact some of our actions are going to have on this close person that we love, that we live with. Sometimes we do something completely innocently and it upsets them, and we can't figure out why. Those things are easy to get into an argument about, unless you go into... A, conversa- a learning conversation where the person who has, you know, innocently done some infractions asks the other person, I don't know what just happened. Can you explain this to me? Not in a defensive way, but truly moving to that tremendously important aspect of couplehood, which is curiosity, mm-hmm. and trying not to get defensive, but saying, whoa, 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 you know, let's slow down. I don't understand what just happened. And then the other person may not understand what happened. And, and then, you know, that, that their job would then be to kind of start looking and saying, well, what did I think just happened? And then they could report that and ask a question, is that what you meant when you did this? Or what was your motivation? Or what were your intentions? And then the other person, I mean, looking in is always incredibly important, can look in and say, well, what was my motivation? Uh, Was I actually trying to be a little bit snarky there or, you know, was I just thinking about myself and not taking you into account or was I being defensive or uh, was I just tired or did I not know? Um, All of those things. So in a facilitative conversation where two people are sitting down and one person is saying, I'm just upset at you, that other person uh, over time framing it as an act of love to facilitate that other person in understanding why they're upset, can just start to ask some questions truly from curiosity and not from defensiveness. And then the person who's upset can start exploring, like Mm -hmm. what actually did this touch into in me? And that is such a loving thing to do for another people because person because what happens then 
when we are actually facilitating another person in figuring something out that has to do with their emotions, they start to learn stuff about themselves. They start to connect dots. They start, you know, even just in the question of um, just asking ourselves, what does this remind me of in my earlier life? It's so amazing when we actually track the sensations and the emotional reaction and ask ourselves, what is this reminding me of in my earlier life? And I, I go through this all the time with my husband because I had an extremely domineering father. And um, sometimes he will look at me and he'll say, I am not your father because <laughs> I'm arguing with him as if he's trying to overpower me and he's not. Mm -hmm. He's just offering something to me and I am willing to, or he, I'm, it's, I'm totally free to accept or reject. Mm -hmm. And I forget sometimes because it triggers my father complex. And then he has his own, I won't speak to his, but you know, just <laughs> things that we have our raw spots, we have our complexes that are likely to get triggered. And if if both partners understand the the ditches that the other person is sometimes drives themselves into and falls into, and they can say, Oh yeah, they're in trouble here. A really incredible couple will help each other out of the ditch. And sometimes when they both wind up in the ditch, that they can just set something in place in advance where they can figure out how to table this for later or just to have mercy or something of that sort, you know, some go-to. Um, maybe they should just get up and dance. Who knows? <laughs> and shift their mood. But uh, none of us are perfect communicators. And I, I think we all have to have a lot of self-compassion about times when we're just so bound up with our interior troubles that we just can't practice good communication skills. So is this just, I don't want to use the word normal, but is this just common for us to just not know how to have these healthy communication styles going into a relationship? Because I mean, I just think, I don't know, I feel a lot of like almost um, like guilt around just why am I not better at this? You know, it's like how how can I be 34 years old and not know how to talk to another adult better than it's because, I do? I know. <laughs> it's rampant. It's because nobody teaches us these things. Mm. You know, I, I think what comes to me as I'm, I'm thinking about this is many, many years ago when we lived in villages, we had wise elders. And those wise elders, usually there might have been a couple of them in a community, they learned some stuff, and they didn't read communication books, but they knew how to resolve conflicts. Mm -hmm. And if you were in trouble, you would go to the wise elder, and they would give you some wise information, some wise advice. And in our nuclear homes right now, where we all, we're so isolated from each other, we live in these houses, and we Many of us didn't know our neighbors until COVID, and now we <laughs> wave at them and have conversations as, as we go by because everybody needs to be out and everyone's lonely and wants to connect. It's, mm -hmm. That's a wonderful aspect of this thing. Yes. Um, but we're so isolated in terms of being in wise communities, and, um, and no one teaches anyone this stuff because it's, it's one of my great frustrations in that I would just love to have more of this information disseminated everywhere so people can learn to communicate and learn to work things out and not get so stuck and so demoralized and in such despair.
Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to a topic that you brought up just a few minutes ago, which was this um, idea of co-triggering. And that's something that Mallory talks about in her voicemail today. There's sort of this back and forth and yes, one's upsetting the other and then her wife upsets her. You know, it's just it keeps going in the circle. Can you talk about... Because I don't know if we've really gone much deeper into like yeah. triggering and how that plays out. So that goes back to the boat rocking. So one of the things that the communicator can do if, if she understands some of these concepts is that she can know that even if she's speaking in eye language and making a request, not a demand, being in a solution-oriented conversation, her partner may still get upset because her partner has a particular complex about a, a sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And... When the partner gets upset, her job then is to hold steady and to not get upset with the partner. Just to hold steady, let the partner get upset, just hold steady, stay in the conversation, don't defend, don't respond, don't take bait, and and maybe ask some questions about what's so upsetting about that rather than responding or trying to make it better. But then you're moving into a a facilitative conversation. You're facilitating the partner who is reacting to your request and learning more about why this is so upsetting for them. What are they hearing that you're in, you know, what do they think you're intending? Uh, What do they think that you're saying that you're actually not saying? Uh, If you're not criticizing, uh, maybe there can be a clarification about that. I think setting the context for the conversation before it even begins can be very helpful. Let's try to, I'm going to really try to, you know, so this is the speaker. I'm going to really try to practice my, what I'm learning about communication. And uh, I want us both to do this because I want us to get better at this. Now, if the speaker has some sensitivity about how she should never upset anybody, or she may have come out of a home where people didn't talk about feelings. I don't know, but um, there are homes where people don't talk about feelings or when somebody gets upset, uh, bad things happen or um, you're treated like you're a terrible person if you upset your mother or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no practice, no context for, for permission to have feelings. Or the idea that you upset someone else means that you're doing something wrong. Uh, So this comes back to the principle of differentiation, that we really have to remember that we're two different people living in two different countries, and that we have a bridge that we can cross over into the other person's world. We can share things. It's kind of like saying, I'm reporting from over here. This is what it's like over in my world. And the other person mm-hmm. is saying, well, I'm reporting over here. This is what I'm hearing you saying. This is what I think you're intending. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not okay with what you're saying. And then when that information comes back to the one who started the conversation, you got to move to curiosity. As in, well, tell me about that. Tell me more about when I say, could we such and such, Tell me what happens for you when when you hear me say that. Rather than, well, oh, either backpedaling, saying, well, I didn't really mean it, it's not that important, or I didn't really mean to upset you, or why can't you ever listen to me, which is something that some, sometimes people go to. I'm just trying to talk to you. I can never talk to you. Um, so now we've got a co-triggering going on. You know, mm-hmm. the speaker is now hurt because she's not heard, she's not responded to, and then the other person feels accused because you're saying, why don't you ever listen to me? I can never talk to you. You're impossible or whatever is being said. Cause I, again, mm-hmm. I'm not there. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but um, 
there's all sorts of things that can happen in this co-triggering. And it's in, I'm going to actually send you a handout that you can post that has to do with what I call interlocking complexes and shadow boxing, which means that we're touching into deep insecurities and, and unresolved stuff in our own world. And, you know, we're communicating over and it's touching into the other person's deep insecurities and unresolved stuff. And then we start reacting to the reactions. So we're not even actually in the conversation anymore. We're just mm. reacting to the reactions. So a lot of it has to do with what we make it mean. And that's mm -hmm. so important. When someone says something to us, what are we making it mean? Where is it landing? How are we feeling defensive about that? Which is always related to what we're making it mean. Does it mean we're a bad person? Does it mean that they're going to abandon us? Does it mean we're deficient? Does it mean we did something wrong? Uh, all sorts of things. What are we making it mean? So in that circle, there are exit ramps at every single point where I can either do some inner work and work on my capacity to hold steady in the midst of a conflictual conversation. And we can actually talk about the process. Can we just mm -hmm. talk about how to talk to each other? Mm -hmm. What would be helpful for you in terms of if I have something I want, how can I, how can I word it? How can I approach you in a way where you actually listen to me? That would be a good question to ask. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, these are, these are very complicated things, and they take so much personal growth and compassion and curiosity and good communication. But just beginning to talk to each other about being able to talk to each other uh, and what would make that more possible is a wonderful and helpful conversation to be in. Mm -hmm. And for the person who's hurt, who's angry, like, okay, so I'm usually the person that's angry in a conversation with Gerard. It's like, I have to be willing to figure out what's really behind that anger, right? Yeah, I, I can't just say I'm angry. It's like, oh, well, that's a secondary emotion. So then I really have to be willing to do the stuff, the digging to what's going on under that layer. Yes, begin within. You've got to go and, and ask yourself just to get to a quiet place and... To come back to the inner cast of characters, you might want to ask yourself, who in me is hurt? Who mm -hmm. in me is upset? And then do a little inquiry around that inner character. How old is she? What does this remind her of? What is the underlying need that's not being met? What, is, what does she want? Uh, what is she making this mean? Um, what is this tying into that may have happened back there then that was unresolved and very hurtful? But the mm -hmm. thing about like our, our inner little kids is that back there, way back when these things originally happened, we had very little voice, very little choice, mm -hmm. little resources, little power. Uh, we, we really were captive in our parents' world or wherever we were growing up and sometimes in school. And um, that's a terrible feeling. So that little kid can get rumbling inside in a situation where you do have a voice and you do have a choice and you do have a, an adult mind that can problem solve. But the little kid inside is just really rocking and rolling in there and, <laughs> and uh, that's the person who's speaking and that's the person who's hurt and upset. So that's, that's some of the inner work to do is like who in me is upset? And what are they upset about? And what is this, what is this tying into that happened back there then? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Gerard's tried the um the trick on me that Tom does for you when he says, "Is there yes. anyone else in there that I can talk <laughs> to?" And I'm like, "Too soon. I'm not there yet. Like I do not yeah. have Chelsea's level of tolerance for this yet." So. I know. Sometimes when he does that with me, it makes me really, really <laughs> mad at first. <laughs> but 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 what it also does is it wakes me up. It's kind of yeah. like, "Oh, I'm probably in a complex. I'm probably yes. speaking in my not so good self right now." So exactly. it does. It makes me super mad. And and sometimes I actually say to him. Um, um, I don't say too soon, but I'm like, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that right now. <laughs> yes. Now's not the time. Oh, My well. friend Lane has a, co- a phrase she uses. She calls it vigorous fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> vigorous fellowship. And she means oh that sometimes God. she and her husband are kind of into it with each other. And it's it's gotten a little out of hand. But they, they know that they love each other. And they'll get to the other side somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a great, yeah. a great phrase. Well, thank you. I really hope that um, this was helpful for our caller today. And um, hopefully so she's too. listening and can apply some of this. And if she does, then we'd love for her to call back and let us know how this goes next time. That would be um, great. Yeah. And anyone else who wants to call in and let us know if they have any questions or just stories they want to share related to this topic or anything else we're at 501-492-9552 or you can email us at chelseawakefieldpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be back with all of you again next week thank you so much chelsea you're welcome thanks for producing this sure